Uh, hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson and uh, this is the last of the original uh, Willosophy podcasts that I put up. Uh, it's with Lauren Freed, who's absolutely fascinating, fabulous uh, on this podcast. I uh, love Lauren to death. She's uh, one of the great modern minds and one of the people who will be shaping the future of Australia and it's great to have a chat with her. Uh, she's fascinating on a whole range of different issues, but I think people will really enjoy this. Uh, a lot of people might not have heard this one, even if you listened to the original podcast, because it was in our times of troubles when iTunes had stopped listing it because I hadn't done it for long enough and I put it up, but no one could find it. Uh, so this may be a brand new one to some people that uh, it may be the last of the original ones. But anyway, brand new content as of next week. Uh, my uh, first uh, first new one uh of the new year will be with uh, Emily V. Gordon. Now, uh, some people might not know Emily, but she's a, a fabulous uh, comedian and uh, producer and uh, therapist and a whole range of other things. And so I think you're really going to enjoy the chat I have with her. But uh, in the meantime, uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Lauren Freed. Uh, make sure you hit Lauren up on uh, Twitter if you enjoy the episode and tell her that you heard about it. And uh, if you want to see me live, I'll be doing my Illuminati show the last night of that at the Sydney Opera House in the Concert Hall, uh, January 19, two shows, uh, get in for that if you want to be part of that, Justin Hamilton doing support and uh, we're filming it all for a big special that'll be out next year and then of course my free will shows, my new show is on sale already in uh, Adelaide, Brisbane and Melbourne as part of the festivals in all those various places so uh, check your local guides for tickets etc. I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode with Lauren, cheers. Welcome to Willosophy. Uh, my name is Will Anderson, and I still don't really know how I'm starting the podcast. So uh, we still don't have any intro music at this stage, but I'm going to introduce my guest. Uh, well, I'm going to get my guest to introduce herself uh, pretty early on in this one, so we can talk about a few of the bookkeeping and business matters up the top. So uh, let's get to that straight away. Guest, who are you? Hi, Will. Um, my name's Lauren Freed, and I'm the founder and managing director of Pulse Marketing. Right. That's interesting to me that you, like, for straight away, I love how when p- people introduce themselves, like, some people don't know what to say, and I think I wouldn't know what to no, say. No, no, that was fairly, yeah, I didn't know what to say either, but right. I figured that felt right. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah it was true. It says something to me that, that when whatever comes out, mm-hmm. you know, in that moment, I'm like, yeah. okay, well, that's a good place to start, and we will get back to that in a minute. Right. And of course, uh, as I always do on this podcast, I'm going to ask you if you have a philosophy but before we get to those things I, I was just more interested in asking you about something about this podcast which mm-hmm. is I think this is my uh, fifth or sixth one mm-hmm. but I've recorded about eight or nine of them and I haven't put one up for about four months five months now so welcome to anyone who's uh, been waiting <laughs> four or five months uh, for this to be put up the reason I haven't been put it up is that oh, look on this podcast, all I've wanted to do is only interview people that I'm genuinely interested in talking to myself. But the first four or five people that I did um, were all men, mm-hmm. and nice. then I got to a point where I was like, "Well, I would definitely like my next female, my guest, n- next guest to be female, not for any particular reason." Then, like, if I'm doing a podcast that's about you know interesting people and what their philosophy is, what mm-hmm. sort of sign do I send if like? 
all the interesting people I talk to <laughs> happen to be men, right? True. Now, so so what I've done instead, because through the – I know I'm doing a lot of talking here, but the at the start um, – because we've been talking about doing this for – a while. Probably four months, yep. like four or five months, yep. you know. It's literally just been one of those things where I logistically couldn't be in the same place as some of the people that I want to get for the podcast. Yeah. And I hit a few of the men and I've got a few up my sleeve. But I just, I, I thought I thought it would be a month and I thought it would be two months. And now it's been like five months. Mm-hmm. And people are like, what's going on with the podcast? What is going on with the podcast? Well, it's hard for me to say, like, I'm waiting for a female guest. Because that to me sounds almost like worse than me just... So anyway, that's a very long-winded explanation of mm-hmm. what I've been doing. But I, I, I was interested in getting your thoughts on that because do you think that it is important for me to try to, like, you know, not go out of my way to balance it but, like, mm-hmm. to present a balance in that fashion or was I being overly silly about that or where, where do you think I was on that? Well, from my perspective, I actually think you're just that little bit cooler. I like that you are interested in – well, I, I, know, I know you reasonably well and I think uh-huh. you're interested in everyone. I don't think gender's an impact there at all. But no. I really love that you go, maybe there's a different angle that I'm missing. Right. And I think that we male, men and women do look at things very, very differently. Um, I don't believe in all the um, 50-50 on boards and all that sort of stuff. But genuinely, in an interest group like last night at dinner, there were 16 people and four were men. And it was actually, it was weird. Right. We needed more of a balance. Uh-huh. Um, whereas... In business, it's very, very different. Because, yeah, well, it, and it is very, very different in business. And I only have a small insight to this because we first met when you uh, did Gruen, my television show. And, like, weirdly enough, you did that as part of an effort again, not that we were having publicly, but mm. we, we uh, talk about an industry that is dominated by men. Yes. You know, particularly in the roles that we use on a television show, creative mm-hmm. roles and management roles, they tend to be dominated by men. So we've always had a cast of that show that has been, again, very male heavy. Mm. Now, we've like if you think about the female representation we have on the show as opposed to the female representation that's actually in the industry house is much higher. But we're not just making a show for the advertising industry. We're making a show on the ABC for Mm. people. Mm -hmm. So we think personally that we have a a greater agenda than that, that we have to – we can't try – the same amount of like I mean it's easy for us to get male guests and mm-hmm. it was harder for us to get female guests right yes. so now what we could have done is just tried as hard on both do you know what I mean like mm-hmm. you just go well we tried as hard to get female guests as we tried to get you know male guests and we got all these male guests and we mm-hmm. got these two female guests but what's interesting about the, the advertising industry or the marketing mm. industry or even generally in business is that there's awards just for women and right. I've won some of them and uh-huh. I kind of – I love them and I'm really honoured to get them but I'm kind of pissed about it as well going, oh, it's not the best entrepreneur, it's the best female entrepreneur right. and they categorise that like, wow, you've done so well. For a woman. For a woman. Yeah, and it's like that's literally something got, that got said out loud in Mad Men the other day and that's a period <laughs> drama. That's literally something that's meant to be yeah. showing us how weird people were in the past. Mm-hmm. It's still here. So, so as a young successful woman and we'll get to you know your more general philosophy I guess the reason I was asking about that is I think that we have gone out of our way to try to get more female guests we've tried mm-hmm. harder to do that yep. where do you balance those two things and where have you seen the balance be because I think that there does have to be some sort of incentives but you know maybe it's not that I mean do quotas work what are we meant to be doing how how, how could we change it so that it's you know more representative I guess is what I'm asking are you talking generally or with yeah, oh, well, I mean I think 
Well, I mean, let's go with all of it. Okay, you know? why not? we got time. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think there needs to be quotas. What I love seeing is women going on a trajectory because if they don't, if they don't get to a certain point in their career quickly, uh-huh. then they get married and have children. And if they're not senior enough, they don't have enough income, which means that they go, oh, it kind of balances out if I stay at home and not do childcare. Yep. So I would love to see women projected quicker in their early careers. But I don't think the quota is necessary. I think the mindset has to be changed to go, what do they bring? Now, I was in a board meeting the other day and everyone did an update. They have to do a one-word update on how they feel and everyone was going around. And I was crying before I walked into the board meeting about something and I went sad, was my word. And I felt a bit embarrassed. Right. Because I was like, it's a bit girly. Right. And then I thought, well, fuck it. I am. Yeah, you were sad. <laughs> I was sad. Yeah. You asked me. I told you. I can pretend something else. And What's the uh, – let me t- ask you about that though because I've never really been in a world where like they do things like give, give us a, like a one-word update on how you're feeling. What's the purpose of an exercise like that in a – in a, like in a room like that, in a board meeting. Yeah. What, what is the purpose of that? I think it sets a tone, which is great because then right. you know where everyone's at. Uh-huh. And it's really short and sharp and then you get going. Right. Um, and it just takes the edge off it a bit. It's like, you know what, we're all here. I know we're talking about black and white things, but let's just give it a one-word opener. Yeah. And I use that through my business as well. And some of my staff go, oh, Lauren's doing that thing again. Like she, learnt, she went to a course again or she was a speaker <laughs> and she's bringing it back. Um, and so I go, well... We'll try it for a while. I, I'm interested in that though, because mm. it, to me, it's like it's almost like a you know a previously on McLeod's daughters. It just brings everybody <laughs> like up to date with the story so yeah. far, just yeah, in does. a short way. But mm-hmm. it gives you a sense of that. I mean, it's interesting. That's interesting. To it's me. nearly like continues on the conversation after the meeting where you go, "Oh, you said you were X sad. Is everything all right?" Yeah. So it's actually a nice, caring way of bringing people together. Okay, so let's um, because sometimes I can spend too much time, you know, r- rabbiting on, and then we like talk about a million other things. And I realise I would have liked to know what your philosophy is while we were talking about yeah, those things. Yeah. So on brand. Why don't yeah yeah Why don't we? <laughs> I'm terrible. I don't know what this podcast is, and I really haven't thought about it mm-hmm. because th- there's part of me that's like, I don't. I need it to just find out what it is. Like, you know, I'm happy for it to just find out what yep. it is. But that means oh. that sometimes early on, I, I'm really like, I don't know, when should I? Anyway, people don't need to hear this. I'm just, I haven't done it for a while and now I'm just <laughs> telling them what's wrong with it. So, we're warming up, we're warming uh, up. Do you have a philosophy, do you think? I do. I have, um, well, I have a real life vision for myself. Mm-hmm. And funnily enough, it took me years to come up with it and now I just accidentally live by it okay. just because that made it real. Yep. But the one that I, I've been talking about a lot lately is don't make decisions at altitude. What does that mean? So on planes, uh-huh. you make decisions you shouldn't. Oh, my God. You've been on a lot of planes. I'm yeah. not sure if you know what I'm talking about. Like the notebook is sad, but on a plane. Oh, it's so sad. Oh, it's there is something about being up there that like. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've cried at films mm. that I should not be crying at on uh, a plane. Yeah, yeah. And there's people walking past you and you're crying and they don't know what's happening. <laughs> But so no, dis- yeah, right. no, no, they're just walking by me, going. But you don't understand, they're robots in disguise. <laughs> oh, hang on, why is he crying at Transformers? We must be very high. Frozen's very sad. Yeah. I watched it the other day. Oh my god, happy ending but sad bits. Yeah. But oh, spoilers. I, I make. Oh, shit, if anyone shit. was going to that Sorry. children's movie thinking there was going to be a terrible ending, that's an amazing marketing success story. I was reading in the paper just yesterday about how Frozen's now become the number one. You know, it's the number one animated film I think of all time now. Wow. But 
they've run out the big problem now it's rare in marketing particularly with a big thing like disney Mm -hmm. where this is ever a problem they can't get merchandise out quick enough to satisfy the demand for merchandise like you know parents there's so much demand for frozen stuff that disney just publicly said we just did not understand how big this thing was going to be wow like they said it's not a movie anymore it's a franchise and i'm like now you've ruined it yeah yeah great great (laughs) But all my friends that have seen it have seen it about 20 times. Like, the yeah. kids are obsessed. It's like a childhood addiction. Yeah. No, I must admit, when I hung out with my sister and her kids, they were all belting out some Frozen, and I went, okay, this is <laughs> this is a thing. This is, it's sticky. Maybe I'm going to have to go, I'll have to watch it on a plane. But no, that's a really good idea, because you're right. Like, But now, do you mean genuinely, like, at altitude, or do you mean that as a more, like, a metaphor, a broad sort of analogy for, for other aspects of decision-making? I find that on the plane at altitude, I make decisions, big decisions, yep. life decisions, whether I'm, you know, I've had, I've actually had breakups on planes. Uh-huh. Like, who would have thought? Like, w- when the other person's there? Or yeah, no, no, they're there. They're there. Yeah. <laughs> do they, do they need downing. to be there? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually important with both. I mean, it's a page. great place to break up too, because oh, then you're trapped next to them trapped. for the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. I've done one um, on the way home from Europe. Oh, That's how far into flight. the trip? Oh, first first sector oh. is a long way. I mean, surely you've got to like at least save that for the stopover. <laughs> even if you even if you knew it was going to happen, surely yeah, you've got to be back. nice to each other until the well, stopover. Well, I had no control, right? You just uh, can't wait. No yeah. patience. No of patience. Course. But I make big decisions. But then travel for me is really that is just enlightening. So mm. I have to usually get a plane to get to the place I want to go to. Right. Then when I'm there and I love to travel by myself, I'm just living. I just live in another world that's not reality and therefore I just see things really differently. I have different experiences that life gets a bit busy when I'm at home but when I'm away, I don't even, sometimes I just don't even know where my phone is for a couple of days. Like right. I'm just totally a different person. And that's really interesting, isn't it? Because it, mm. that is a completely different person to the person that you are yeah. Yeah, in absolutely. the real world. Yeah, and, it, and it's not an escape from my reality uh-huh. but it's just I take those experiences and I come back and I'm just a little bit, there's something different about me. When did you first travel? Where did it come from? Well, my dad's a pilot, uh-huh. so we traveled a lot when we were kids, but we did a lot of America and Asia. But I guess the last few years, my interest has been peaked around different places. Um, I, I'm d- working my way through the seven wonders of the world, and I'm well, Okay, it. well, tell me that so far. So what, what, are, what are the seven? Well, what have you been to out of the seven? I assume there's uh, seven of them. There from are. The name. I know, I know. It's, it's <laughs> they don't have like a bonus wonder. <laughs> now with eight wonders. Right. Now if you pay for all seven, get nine wonders. Yeah, yeah, Two yeah. extra wonders for, for free. free. Yep. Yeah, 10% more. Right, yeah. Um, so I did, um, I did Cairo uh-huh. and Petra. The Colosseum's on some of the lists, and I just did the Colosseum. Oh, and wow. How's this? I went to Rome, and I drove past the Colosseum and didn't go in. Well. Is that, does that count, count as doing it? Uh, did not go no, in. No, I don't think so. Drove past. Inside's pretty important. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Didn't go to the Vatican City either. <gasps> no. I ate a lot of pizza and drank a lot of wine, though. Yeah, me Had too, but I time. still <laughs> managed to get to the Colosseum and the Vatican. I don't like lighting up I was stuff. just in the Colosseum. Oh, sorry, at the Vatican a uh, couple of weeks ago. Uh, and my Italian tour guide, I thought maybe he was putting it on a bit because he was just going, Lorena, I'm going to take uh, you through uh, the Vatican uh, yeah, right. and putting the A's on everything. Yeah, it was, it was Mark Mitchell, Con the Fruit. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was Greek, by the way. In that, so that's horribly racist. But he was, he was um, and he just said to me, uh, it's Italian, uh, yes, I uh, know, uh, same thing. Uh. 
I went, okay. So every barrier in the Vatican, he just opened up and we just walked through. Oh, yeah, right. So we had like the back tour. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. that's good. So it's very cool. Yeah, so that, very that, cool. that is actually good. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would have liked to go. I just don't like lining up for stuff. No, no, that's why you get a tour guide. Yeah. That's Italian because they just push it. Yeah, I'm through. definitely like one of those front of the line people. Me too. Yeah. Oh, I'm just, yeah. Or not go. I'm not, I'm certainly never a person who, <laughs> like, I'm not happy to, like, I don't want to push in front of anybody. If there's some, like, thing where I can, like, buy front of the line, that's what I'll do. I love yep, that. Like if I'm going too. to an amusement park or whatever yep. and there's like a front line pass, that's what I'll do. Mm-hmm. But I don't want special treatment. I want the appropriate, you know. There's but, those ones at Disneyland, you know, where you go and you, you get your ticket and yep. then you go away for 45 minutes and come back. Yeah. I'm good with that. Yeah. And they oh. call it an express pass. It's yeah. like, well, it's not really. It's not really. No, it's just more appointments. All. That's right. It's a, it's a, <laughs> Fun by yeah, appointment. It's a personal assistant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Essentially, you don't get an express pass at all. You, no. get, uh, you get Google Update or something. That's what you get. <laughs> all right. So, uh, so traveling alone is interesting to me. Yeah. So um, uh, t- tell me what, what it is about traveling alone. Oh, no. So you were telling me about what you've seen so far. So you- oh, okay. So I did, um, yeah, I did Cairo, Petra. Coliseum, and I'm going to aim to get to the Great Wall this year. Uh-huh. Tried to get the Taj Mahal recently, but it takes a bit of time to get a visa. Yeah, right. So I didn't get there. So okay. probably Taj Mahal next year, Rio de Janeiro. I think that's every one of them. Okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Why, why was it that why, – why that? Like, why did you choose that for a start, like on your little mission of things you're going to yeah. do? Why that? I've always had a dream, by the way, of watching Test Match Cricket – I've like, never had is, that dream. No, a lot of people <laughs> haven't had dreams, that dream, yeah. right? Yeah, it's hardly Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. <laughs> this one. I have a dream. And the, the weird thing about this dream is that it's very achievable and mm-hmm. I've done not much to, you know, pursue it. Mm-hmm. I would like to watch Test Match Cricket in all the places they play Test Match Cricket. Love it's it. not that many places. It's like, you know, there's like I, I would have to go to – I've already seen it in Australia and England. Tick, tick, right? yep. Um, I, New Zealand would be very easy for me to do. Yeah. South Africa would be reasonably mm-hmm. easy. The West Indies, Zimbabwe, that can get a little tricky. Touch and go, touch and go. <laughs> Pakistan and India, depending on, you know, what time. But, you know, like there's not that many places in the world that – but I have done, I've done nothing to, towards doing it. So I'm interested in the fact that you not only have said that you would like to do this thing, because a lot of people say that they would like to do things. So mm. I'd like to go and visit – you know, the seven wonders of the world. But yeah. not many people then just go, all right, what are they? And start checking them off. Yeah. A couple, uh, probably about two and a half years ago, I lived in Paris for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. I lived by myself and I spent a lot of time by myself. Yeah. So you have every meal alone. You walk the streets and do things every day by yourself. Yeah. And that's the first time I've actually really been by myself. Like I would have hated to get to a restaurant early. And have to wait for someone. I'd be embarrassed thinking everyone was looking at me. I think that's really interesting because a lot of people find the idea of eating by yourself terrifying or going to the movies yep. by yourself terrifying. But as someone who spent my life traveling the world mostly by myself, like most of my meals are by myself. And mm. most of the times I go to the movies, it's by myself. And I spend most of my day by myself. So it's mm-hmm. interesting uh, to, that transition between those two things. Did you find it difficult at first or did you embrace it straight away? Well, I kind of had no choice, so I just did it. Yeah. And I, I just started doing a journal. So I write in a journal and uh-huh. I wrote in a journal every day when I was away. Um, like how much would you write? Some days I'd write four or five pages, other days, you know, I could write 30 or 40. And would you write as you go or would you, like, is it well, the sort of thing where you'd carry it around and you just like, yep. when you had a thought, you would write stuff down? I also did it around meals or if I was sitting down yeah. because I reckon something with me is I'm really curious. And right. I, if, if anyone ever read my journal, I would die. But if they did, there's so many areas where I go, I wonder, 
I wonder, I wonder, and I'm constantly going, I wonder why, I wonder this, about myself, about other people, about locations. And I really love that. Um, and I try when I go out not to touch my technology. Mm-hmm. So like every Tuesday night, I go out on date night with myself. So anywhere in the world, but in Sydney consistently, I go out every Tuesday night for dinner by myself. Same restaurant, love it, sit there by myself, write in my journal. And I'm usually there first and leave last. Like, it's not like I'm just eating. Like, I'm actually having a night out. Right, yeah. I mean, well, in that way, you can kind of take your time. Yeah, that's right. Like, there is no rush. You're not on <laughs> no. a, you know, you can just go, oh, yeah, I'll start with a glass of wine and then I'm going to get something else and mm-hmm. I'm going to fiddle around here. No, I, I understand yeah. that. So, uh, in your, when you say you're, uh, you're curious, you wonder, where did that come from? Like, when you were young, did you have that, uh, uh, like, do you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, an older brother, older sister. Okay, so you're the youngest. Hmm. So, did you were you curious for, as a kid? Do you think? I don't reckon I was. Funnily enough, we just watched a lot of our videos from when we were kids, uh-huh. and I was pretty cute actually. I was told I was naughty, <laughs> but I think I was just it was just cuteness overload, right, and they didn't know yeah, what to yeah, do with sure. it. Yeah, but I think that only <laughs> the last few years have I actually gone. Life is ticking, Lauren. Like I looked at the last year and sort of in March this year, I went, wow, a, year's, a year has passed uh-huh. and that's one unit of time. Now, I might only have 40 more units of time and I'm dead. Right. So if I'd, you're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. If I do everything right, right, I'm thinking I really can't waste time. And then I've become, I'm very focused. I'm very focused on goal setting. But personally, I know that I want to have a lifestyle filled with experience or mm-hmm. a life filled with experience and really deep relationships and friendships and doing it all with humility. And I know that. And I go, great, I know that now. Seven Wonders, fuck, wouldn't that be amazing? Right. And I don't, I don't want to be all talk. There's been years where I'm just all talk and I don't want to do that. I actually want to be able to look back at the end of every year or at the end of my life and go, wow. Well, that's an interesting thought. There's a couple of things there that I'd like to talk about. The first one is that you seem to have these like key principles about how you see yourself now. Yeah. Um, so the first thing is like where did they come from? Like how did you, you kind of decide on those? Mm-hmm. And secondly, the, the bigger question is how did you change from somebody who talked about those sort of things into somebody who actually did those things? I think that the, the, there was a real um, change in my life a few years ago and I went, I'm in this numb state. Like I was I, – I heard a speaker speak and they talked about uh, confusing pleasure with happiness – recently Uh and it made so much sense to me because I was running I was kind of a little bit numb to life I had a a, a smaller scope of emotion like the bad was all right I just box it up and move on the good was good but you know okay of course I got good so now I have this much much wider scope of emotion so the bad means hysterically crying and the good means I just go can my life get any better Uh than it is right now and I wanted that because that numb state was really frustrating for right. me. The willingness, you have to through. kind of be willing to fail to succeed sort of thing. That's right. And you've got to be willing to be sad to be happy. Yeah. and I Because just, one's kind of, they're not the opposite of each other, by the way. There is, it's a myriad of complicated things. But, but you, you have, you, if you're not allowing yourself one, I always say this about criticism and stuff like that, or like people mm-hmm. when they read stuff on the internet. I said, if you believe the good stuff, then you're going to have to believe the bad stuff. Yeah. If you don't believe the bad stuff, don't believe the good stuff, you'll be fine. Like, yeah. you know, you, there's, a, there's a bit in between. Sometimes, you know, you've got to save that for your real life. But you can be too, sorry, that was the point of whole, the whole thing was you can get too closed off. You can start yes. to go, well, I won't in... Like I won't feel sad when I'm sad and mm-hmm. I won't feel happy when I'm happy because I've just left myself in this kind of safe tunnel. Absolutely. And it's sort of like day and night. It just, it's going to happen. Yeah. And so you can just roll with it and go, oh, yeah, daytime, oh, nighttime. And I was like, no, I want to have right. a full life. Uh-huh. And I was, I was single and I thought, well, 
there's no I don't need to ask anyone, do you feel like going to Cairo? Yeah. How can we squeeze Petra in somewhere? Yeah. It was just like, you know what, I've got three days. I'm going to Cairo. I was actually coming home from Paris and I went, I've got three days, I'm going to Cairo. Right. And I landed and I was on like literally from when I made the decision to when I was on a camel going past the <laughs> Great Pyramids of Giza, I was going, Wow, it's not even twenty four hours. Right. You know, you don't have to. Seriously, it wasn't even twenty four hours. Right. I went, okay, here, here yeah. I am. From high altitude on a decision to camel. <laughs> yeah, about twenty four hours. I must have been sitting on a mountain when I made that decision. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, would you say then that I mean, because you mentioned the fact that you were single, it was it some of the times those sort of life moments where you go from one thing to another you transition from a relationship to another relationship or to like a job to another job or mm-hmm. those sort of things can be the moments where you have an opportunity to reposition your life is that yeah it's definitely for me i've always been in a relationship like mm-hmm. i i met my first boyfriend at 16 and then carried relationships the whole way through yeah and so when i wasn't in one i went hmm and I'm sitting in Paris writing in a journal going, who do I want to be? What do I want my life to be? Yep. It was very amazing. I was like, no excuses, Lauren. You can do anything you want, anything. So if you don't, there's no one else to blame now. It's just you. And how much of, because this is an idea that is interesting to me, you know, and like, I mean, I, I think of it a little bit like you do. Like, I mean, I just turned 40 and look, you know, Chances are the way that I've lived my life. If I, if, I, if I get another 20 years, I'll probably be pretty happy. If I get another 30, maybe the last 10 won't be that flash. Yes. So, yep. uh, so I do think a lot about that idea of um, not only – like, and it was very nice what you said about uh, pleasure and happiness because I think so often that we don't give our permis- ourselves permission to ask ourselves or we are too afraid to ask ourselves, what really makes me happy? Mm-hmm. Not what should I do that other people think should make me happy? Because I'm, and you know, I, I won't go into it, but I, I'm make, I've made a couple of career choices this year that no one else can really understand. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone else is kind of like, but you've got this thing and it's successful. And I understand that. And other people's lives also rely on me making those decisions. So I don't yep. take those decisions lightly. Sometimes I think you make those decisions because you care too much about, you go, well, everyone else thinks I should be doing this. Maybe mm-hmm. I should be doing this. Whereas I got to a point where I was like, well, you know what, at least for a year, I need to kind of see if, I can just do what makes me happy. And the probably the, th- the biggest revelation was the other day when I was just pottering around, you know, the house after being on the road for three months, like had not had a night off in three months. It was my first, in fact, nearly four months without one single break where there wasn't travel or shows. And I just was really happy. Like I was just really <laughs> happy. I should have been like tired or yeah. sick or like whatever, but I wasn't. I was just mm-hmm. like, I'm happy. Like I'm really enjoying myself. I'm sorry to everybody else who relies on my... <laughs> <laughs> I had one probably, day off. I saw it was just the one. Probably would not be liking uh, this conversation. But I, I think that a lot of people, you know, they think, oh, well, everyone else is working harder, so I have to work harder. When maybe they're the sort of person who is going, yeah, you know what? I'd actually prefer two more hours with my kids a day. Or I'd prefer, you know what? Gary in the office can work seven days, but I like playing golf. Mm-hmm. And as long as I work hard enough that I can still play golf on the weekend... Or they can be a myriad of other things, like, you know, that you have other dreams or aspirations or mm-hmm. things that you want to do with your life. But I think so often we don't give ourselves permission to ask ourselves, what, what genuinely makes me happy? And, you know, what, what world do I want? Do I want kids? Do I want to mm-hmm. be married? What sort of relationship do I want to have? Do I want to have a relationship? You know, all those various and, things. And you live, in a, you live in a bit of a different space to me as well, who lives in a different space to someone who's employed in a business where – 
there probably is a little bit more choice around all of that stuff. Sure. And over Christmas, I um I read the four hour work week, uh-huh. and well, I didn't read it; I listened to it, which went for twelve hours, which right. would be three weeks. Yeah. Really, if I went by his philosophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I listened to it. Well, that was three weeks of work for him. Yeah, <laughs> That's it how was. He, did it. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Yeah, it's going to take twelve hours. I can only do it over three yeah, weeks." Yeah, yeah. Not see read the month. title. <laughs> but I'd love just a four hour work day. Yeah. But he talks very much about all well, the things I've I've um, read it before. Yeah. But what resonated this time was freedom of location, freedom of like looking at your life as semi-retired. Right. If you want to go and do a mountain bike round, mountain bike ride around Mont Blanc. Why would you wait till you're retired at 65? You right. can't do it then. Yeah. You're not physically capable. You might have shitloads of cash, but you can't do the mountain bike tour you no. want to do. So he's like, just make the time, work out what your life, work backwards, retrofit it back, going, I want to live in this house and retire like this and work it backwards. And you might find you only have to make $300 a day. Right. But instead, we're so hungry for wealth and creation of something that we don't even know what, it, what size it needs to be. We just go more, 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 greed, greed, more, more. And so therefore, we all work five or six days a week. We all take four weeks, holidays a year. Because that's what society's told us to do. Right. But his book was really great for me. It was like, well, what is, what's the end game look like? Work backwards. So uh, when did you start – do you think Paris and like writing the stuff down in the journal was when you started to really start to formulate an idea of who you were in your head or did you feel like you had a solid idea of that before? No, then? I was absolutely there. It's interesting. Yeah. So how, how old – if you don't mind me asking, how old were you around this time? 31. Yeah, okay. So it's about mm. that sort of time in life. But you had already up until that point been quite successful in your career and stuff. Well, I'd, have, I'd had the business for about eight or nine years by then. Right. Yeah. So like it wasn't like you were, you know, bumming around not knowing what you were doing with your life until that point. You clearly had like drive and ambition, you know, well before that, like a decade before that. Yeah. And sometimes maybe I think a little bit too early. Uh-huh. Like I wanted to be an adult so bad. So tell me about that. So wh- tell me about the transition from where, like, do you, what sort of school did you go to? Where, where did you grow up? I grew up at Castle Hill. Okay. So did you go to, where did you go to school? I went to um, Hills Grammar, which was out at Kenthurst. Is that a girls' school, boys' school, both? That's co-ed. It's yeah. a private co-ed school. Okay. And then I went to a girls' school, 11 and 12. Okay, right. And okay, so you had a bit of both then. Yeah. You had like boys up until year 11, basically, and yeah. then 11 and 12 was girls. Mm. It's probably not a bad idea, actually. Yeah, <laughs> you get a nice experience of like, you know, uh, knowing what boys are like and mm-hmm. then you get rid of the distraction for the two important years. Yes, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I loved year 11 and 12. I really did. So tell Great. me about that though because that's interesting to me because I always went to a co-educational school. My brother um, went to a boys' school. I've always been fascinated. My, one of my best friends went to an all-boys' school and I'm always fascinated by that concept, the idea of keeping boys and girls completely away from yes. each other when – we're going to have to spend the rest of our lives, you know. I mean, and I do think that part of the problem that we have, you know, relating to each other is in adults and in a business sentence, all those things is, you know, if you separate people completely, then people just build up myths around what the other people are. And, you know, they've got told lies and those lies become stories. And, you know, the same way as they do with races. Yeah. You know, the same way as there is a we, – we have an idea of what a Chinese person is like or what an Indian person is like, which is at best a cliche, mm-hmm. you know, because they're all individuals. In the same way as when I go to America, everyone thinks I'm fucking Paul Hogan and I should be going, that's not a knife. <laughs> now, I understand they're not really being racist, right? It's yeah. just the idea of what they have as a coverall, even mm-hmm. though I'm nothing like that as a person, you know. Yeah. And so I think that we get this boys and girls thing where, you know, if they're not together, but I quite like your model. That's what I'm saying is like, you've got to 
how did you feel about it? Well, really, I saw no difference. It meant I didn't even notice. Like it, it didn't impact me. Um, we like the the group of friends had a group, a large group of friends that had guys in it as well. I guess I just have I just have an issue where there's groups are ring fenced. It really bugs me, and you know where oh only you know we we need two women to do that or oh no no they're not going to get along with them because of these reasons or you can win an award for being a female there's just no need for it we all in the real world says that you just have to deal with whoever's around you right and if you don't know how to deal with those around you you're just not going to survive you're not Mm going to survive just in a workplace you can't survive traveling i mean i've just been through the middle east for five weeks um i've just i can't i have to have tolerance i have to have respect and i have to be patient and understand how to roll in those sorts of environments. If I'm from a girls' school and I think boys are really funny and I giggle and stuff, I'll probably not survive in places like that. Right. It's just it's just a full 360 learning of people around you. And I don't like the isolation. I didn't notice that when I was in year 11 and 12, I didn't really make made no difference. I don't know if I'd send my kids to a co-ed oh, sorry, a, a boys' or a girls' school. No, I don't. I, I think that it's important to. I mean, I don't think we spend enough time at school explaining to people how to get along with other people, no. like in general. Like, I mean, because as you said, the major skill of living a life is the idea that we live in at least some sort of society. You know, you might want to believe that we're all in a rat race or that we're all competing against each mm-hmm. other. But even if we are all competing against each other, which I don't believe is true, by the way, but mm. some people view the world like that. And whatever I think, there's going to be people out there in the world who still act like that. So you've got to understand that. But the biggest thing we could teach people is that we're all in this together, mm-hmm. at least to a certain extent. And you're going to have to deal. And like, But we don't t- teach people the skills of dealing with other people, of having relationships, no. of having personal relationships. Imagine if you learned that at school. Right. Imagine. Isn't that what you should be learning at school yeah. though? Imagine if you actually learnt what shame meant right. and they defined it and they explained it as a child before yeah. you actually probably started feeling shame. Imagine. Right. Like it's extraordinary that we don't get taught how to have relationships. It's extraordinary that society says you pretty much finish school, go to uni and probably start thinking about getting married. Well, this is our rule. Now, this is basically our plan for the most important thing for the survival of our species. Uh, look, we're not going to teach you anything about it at high school. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to let you do it pretty much as soon as you finish high school. Yep. Oh, by the way, half of them don't work. Yeah, oh, yeah. They're, they're the ones who make it official. Most of the relationships you will have won't work. No. Oh, no, we're, we're giving you no clues. Work <laughs> it out yourself. I don't know. Watch some movies. Get some weird images from them. And just get it wrong. Just right. get it wrong over and over and over. And there's no need for that. No. But your parents have been – aren't they so high school sweethearts or something? Yes. Oh, well, no, not high school sweighthearts because my, my dad's older than my mum. Uh, but uh, that would be weird Wasn't if they were high school sweethearts. I was going to yeah, say if they were high school sweethearts. Yeah, that's awkward. That's Cut this out of the podcast. That's why you can't teach anymore. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Dad lives in Singapore. Did I not mention that? <laughs> I, um, no. Uh, <laughs> my, they've been married uh, 41 years. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, they've been married for 41 years. Uh, so Dad um, was – so Mum was 19, I think, when they met. So Dad was 27 or 26 or 27. And uh, he'd been a farmer – uh, on Anderson's Road where he grew up uh, for, you know, all those years and he lived on that road and has only lived on that road and been married to my mum for 41 years. Yeah, so definitely... 
I mean, for him, it wasn't much of a change in his world, you know. Mm. Like, but but for Mum, I mean, she went to you know uh, school in in Melbourne. She was at boarding school, and you know, she was going off to university. She was a young woman in the city, you know. Yeah. So it was definitely a, a bit of a different, mm. you know. A thing for her, and you know, my brother's back on the farm now, and they were always a family. Family, they, ra- I mean, they raised us. I mean, in 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 many ways, they raised me very well to pursue what I want to do because they raised you in a family where you never really expected to do like anything that people would consider to be like you know special. Like mm-hmm. you know, they were going to. My parents were going to be very happy with whatever you chose to do with your life as long as you worked hard at it. I didn't come from one of those families where, you know, I was the first person in my family to finish high school, certainly the first one to go to uni and finish uni. They were wrapped, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they weren't, you know, sitting at home going, I hope you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer yeah. or, a, you know, they weren't yeah. those sort of people. So I was very lucky. You know, I had my own ambitions, obviously, but I've kind of been able to carry that through that I always knew that I was, you know, I, I don't think that I did anything that I did because I'm particularly special. I just wanted to go and do something and I, I tried hard at it. And, mm. you know, I, I don't think it makes me special either, particularly when you grow up on a farm and see people actually work for a living. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like mm. no one claps at four o'clock in the morning, mum, her dad's milking the cows. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if he walked out to milk the cows with a beer in one hand and two other beers in the other hand, people would be like, Graham's got a problem. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> we, have to, we have to step in. So, uh, so you were successful. Successful at school? You strike me as someone who would have been successful. Were you like a school captain or like a prefect? Were you that sort no, of girl? No, I, 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 I wasn't. And I wonder if I'd stayed at the same school where I probably would have landed. I know that I came out the other end. I got um, – I was going to call it TR. I think that's that's what it was then. I don't know what they call it now. High school, like the, the, the leaving school, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So I got, I got a mark I was really happy with. I got into an industry well, – into a course in industry that really interested me. Yeah. So – in that sense, all my schooling kind of fell into place. Where did, what were you like? Where did you first? So, did you want to know what you wanted to do when you were at high school? No, I didn't. Um, and then I left when I finished high school and I went to uni. I thought I wanted to do PR or communications or something. Uh-huh. And so then I started um, working at McDonald's and temping there in the marketing department. Okay. And then I went, oh, actually, I don't mind this marketing thing. Yeah. It's quite interesting. And so then I followed that path. And McDonald's were very supportive, considering I was nineteen putting me into a full-time role and I started there. Well, you're older than most of the staff out the front. So. <laughs> 19 probably seemed very experienced. You could have been like an mm. assistant store manager yeah, at 19. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> well, I actually, all the time, whenever, I just forget when I say McDonald's that people yeah. actually do think I was flipping burgers. Right. Yeah. And yeah. No, well, it's one of those things, though, like where they have a, I mean, well, it's, it, it, I mean, let, let's be honest, you know, um, McDonald's isn't the best food in the world. Like Shut McDonald's up. is marketing. You know what I mean? Like that's, but that's the whole point, isn't it? That mm-hmm. they've got this brand to be one of, if not the most recognisable. I know at one stage it was the most rec- – the Golden Arches was more recognisable yeah. than the Christian Cross at one stage. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean – it's not like we all decided that McDonald's food is, you know, the best food in the world and we're all going to buy it. It's like obviously a great place to learn how to do marketing. Absolutely. And because it actually does come from a core story. Like if you listen to any TED speaker, they always have at the beginning of time this awakening moment and then their life went from there or their uh-huh. business went from there. And that yep. is very much McDonald's started very humble beginnings and people did love the burger and milkshake joint. It did start very small and humble, and I love that beginning. Um, 
and now it's a huge machine that we we go there for so many different reasons and they just keep nailing it. Yeah. Um, I don't go there very often anymore. I don't um, think I've been in about five years. Yeah, I at try. least probably since I stopped eating meat. Probably fourteen years. I was going to say yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I used to like if it was a, like if I'm on the road or whatever and like you know. You drive it through the country or whatever. Once they brought in like coffee, like I know it's not the best coffee in the entire world, but like yep. if you're on a long road trip, like it's a pretty reliable. Like it's reliable. It's reliable. Coffee. That's yeah. what McDonald's is, isn't it? It's reliable. Yeah. People yeah. kind of have an idea of like any of those uh, companies. I really respect them from a from a marketing and advertising perspective. Pretty much everything they could have done, they have done, yeah. and still they still keep me intrigued when I see their campaigns or they yeah. do something new. I go, wow, that's that's pretty good from a from a marketer's perspective. Yeah, I, marketing, really, I really yeah. respect that. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so, all right. So, you go to university. Uh, you're mm-hmm. working at McDonald's, and you get interested in marketing. Like, as in, like you're working in marketing. Yes, you know, d- doing that of, yep. role. And so, how long are you there? Do you finish your course? Yeah, I finished my course, and like my manager was very supportive of that. So, I did my university at night, mm-hmm. and I worked full time during the okay, day. Yep. Yeah, so I did. So, that. how old are you when you're working full time and doing uni at night? Nineteen. Yeah. Okay. So that's interesting yeah. to me already because I worked full time and did uni in my second year of uni and third year of uni as well. And yeah. it's interesting to know what was in your mind at that time to be doing both those things. Did you feel like once you were out of high school, it was your responsibility to work, or was that just something you were driven to do? Like, how did you come to that? Uh, I'm point? just really, really competitive, uh-huh. and I'm toning it down. Right. It feels like I. I I feel like that is something that you're changing a bit. Let's, yeah. let's put a pin in that and get back to that when we naturally get to that point because I am interested in hearing about that sort of transition. Mm. But t- I want to know what you're like now at 19. You just you, you want to get ahead. I just wanted lots of money in the bank. I wanted to beat everyone else. Uh-huh. I thought, wow, end of first year uni, I've got a full-time job. They're all going to beat uni for another two years, so I'm two years in front of them. Right. And I've got money coming in and I'm at this global company in a marketing role. It doesn't get much better than that. Yep. I just thought... I don't think life can get much better. Yeah, the world's my oyster. It's all falling into. And life. are you living by yourself or are you living at home? What are you doing? Like, what's your? Where's your life at at this point in your life? I'm living at home, and then about a year and a half later, I bought some land and built a house. Oh, right at 21, 2021. 20, yeah. 21. yeah, yeah. So, okay, so that again is something that, like, I think people listening would be like, oh, okay, you're clearly someone who, at a young age, had some sort of idea or vision of what you thought you were going to do with your life because otherwise at 21 you're not buying land and building a house no that's right and i think i look now with a lot of tolerance for kids who kids 20 to 25 year olds going when i was your age i'd had pulse marketing for three years now and you just fly and fly out take all your sick days and then i go god just calm down right you know they're not all like you and you know what they lived a life like i look at my friends who traveled took a gap year and did europe now, I can never have that time back again. I agree. I, even if I got a year off, right. I can't stay in hostels anymore. I don't no, no, go no. and get smacked. I think I'm too old even to go to the hostels. I oh, definitely do can't they have, do Kentucky. Do they, do they have like, yeah, well, they, there's a cutoff. Yeah, I can't do them. And so that's Oh, no, no, I understand gone. completely. I was like, I was in. Such uh, a shame. Because I, 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 you know, I having this year, I can do a, a few more things. But. As a 40-year-old, I can't, like, you know, go and hang out, like, with a bunch of 20-year-olds because guess what you are? You're that, you're that creepy guy. Yeah, you are. <laughs> you are. You're literally that creepy guy. He keeps cracking jokes, you know, the creepy right. guy at the back. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah, I mean, it's not – you can't do that. No. I mean, you know, my brother ran with the bulls. I've got osteoarthritis in my hips. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting away from those bulls. No. No, I, I understand what you mean by that, it, mm. which is that there are sometimes appropriate times in your life where that is the thing to do. 
Mm. It was occurring to me recently that one of the things I'd always wanted to do was go to Glastonbury to go to the music yep. festival because I love music festivals and I've been to a bunch of them around the world. But Glastonbury was always a terrible time of the year for me yep. and it was hard to get tickets. Yep. Like, And if I had a last minute, you can't get, you know, anyway, whatever. And it occurred to me the other day that I was like, I was looking at you know, who was on at Glastonbury and I was looking at the fact that you have to stand in a tent and there's going to be mud. Yeah, mud, lots of and mud. And I was just like, you know what? That door's closed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to Splendour and stay in a nice caravan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, go in a Winnebago to Burning Man or something. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah that's right, yeah. yeah. But I'm not sure that I can, can do that anymore. So, no, I, I agree with that idea of like, and, you know, because I, I was someone that, like, went straight to university, you know, worked, like, you know, while I was at university, went straight out of, even though when I started doing comedy, it was pretty, like, I was still working really hard on trying to, you know, do comedy. I didn't have any of that time off. And I was talking to someone the other day about the, like, uh, how important time off can be. Mm. Because for the last four years, I've been st- stuck in a cycle where, because I've been trying to, uh, like, yeah, spend some more time in America and work my career over there, but still trying to kind of honor my career and work it here. Mm-hmm. What I've essentially been doing is, like, uh, a year's worth of work in Australia and a year's worth of work in the US, each of them, you know, in one year. Yes. So, like, and so it's been hard. Every time I finish one place, I just go to the other place and I'm expected to, like, you know, land running yeah. you know i can't have some weeks off but i was talking to someone the other day about how sustainable that is as an idea you know like is there a point where oh my god i've been working like essentially you know a bunch of jobs for like mm-hmm. four years without a break is it important for me to kind of like go somewhere and you know just like have a have a break go and do something that has nothing to do with work at all it's difficult because I don't – I love, love. I'm absolutely in love with my business right now mm-hmm. and I've never been more in love with it. Okay, so, therefore, when I do take time off, I used to resent it when the office would contact me. Now, I check in. I want to know what's going on. It's not at all a negative in my life. Love it. But in your instance, it's – you. Well, it's all about what, what feeds you, you know, and I talk about this a lot about going what feeds your confidence or what drives you and it's really hard to know what that is when things are all going really well. So I heard a guy say once, um, if you're walking through hell, you don't stop and pitch a tent because things get bad, you get the fuck out of there. Right. And that's for me when I look at my business or I guess my career, I go – I only know what drives me when it's shit. Yeah. When I'm really down that bottom going, why Why am I doing this? Right. That's when I know what feeds me out yeah. of that. And so when things are going well, I mean, I look at your career and go, wow, it must be at its peak. Well, let's hope, not, hope it's not at its no, peak. You know, like let's, just, let's hope we've just got a base we're, camp. We're <laughs> <laughs> True. A lot of it's people have been saying for years that it was at its peak, but it just keeps going up. <laughs> There's no stopping you, Will. No stopping me. <laughs> I started low. That's my secret. Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> don't be too good too early. <laughs> if you want to stay around for ages, don't be good too early because the only thing that will be happen is that people will – like eventually people will be like, he used to be good. Oh, Whereas be I started at a low base – and then just get about 5% better every year. That is very, <laughs> that is very wise. That's my business model. Oh, I'm yeah. going to see what I can do with that. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, so, okay, so, uh, so you working there, when do you go, I'm going to start my own business? Because that, how old were you when you started? So it's nine. So I how, was 20, yeah. I just turned 23. Okay, so that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Like 23 years old. I mean, yeah, I mean, okay, so you've, you've already like bought land and built a house. So I suppose 
you're someone who sees yourself as someone who can just do things. But to start your own business at 23, like, I mean... I think actually that's where my feminism started. Okay, So, I left... And it's actually only the last couple of years I'm comfortable even saying I'm a feminist. Uh-huh. Prior to that, you just go, I'm not a feminist, but... Right. Because, well, that's because like, well, of... Well, just that's, say you are. Well, you are. Yeah. Of course you are. I know I am, I so am. I'm not going to pretend. Well, in the definition that do I believe that people should be... Have, like, should have the capacity to be treat, treated equally for their skills, and then, of course, mm. we all should be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's ridiculous even that we make people feel bad about... Like, I mean, the name has... Yeah, it's got a bad the brand has, the brand yeah, has the had brand some damage wrong. done to <laughs> we it. Need right? to it. But the point is that I don't think you need to rebrand it. I think we need to reclaim it. Like as in I think people just have to even like stop doing that thing. Of course I'm a feminist. Yeah. Every I'm sure you are. Like I mean next time someone should get asked in a like uh in an interview, like, you know, are you a feminist? I go, yeah, I assume you are also. You believe that I'm as, you know, mm-hmm. like, I mean, because that's all it is. Yeah. And then you've got to go that extra step, you know, the step that Andrew Bolt seems to be incapable of <laughs> uh, uh, making in his uh, logical arguments because mm-hmm. Andrew Bolt in his perfect world, and he says this, and either he believes it or he's saying it cynically. I- I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he believes this and he's just too stupid to not see the logical flaw in his statement. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he's you know, like a terrible person manipulating people less intelligent than him for his own political purposes. But let's give him the benefit of the doubt that he's just an idiot. Mm -hmm. So um, he basically says when it comes to racism, he goes, well, I'm not a racist. I'm saying everyone should be treated exactly the same. Well, okay, if we're all starting from exactly the same point, Mm -hmm. I 100% agree with you. And the place that we're trying to get to is where we all get the opportunity to start at the same place. And then you know what? Each to his own ability. And that's the exact same thing with feminism, which Mm -hmm. is the minute we all feel like we're starting at the same place, each to his or her own ability. But up until that point, we've got to like have this constant conversation of, you know, there's still a bunch of stuff. It's not just because we have like one female prime minister doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that, you know, family violence statistics have gone down or, you know, that there are a myriad of other... Women are still getting paid less than men in like most industries. Mm -hmm. Like there's a... Bunch of things. Like, the word shouldn't be laden. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's it's that idea that people... And that's the thing that really shits me about the Bolt argument is that I'm, I, I, I have to think that a man of his, like, you know, level has to be smart enough to understand the flaw in what he's saying. Because we're not all equal. We're not all starting in the same place. And that's... Nowhere in the world is that the truth. Right. You know, I, if I think about when I was in Jordan, I've never felt more scared in my whole life as a female right. traveling in, the, in, in that country. Um, and I met some amazing people, all men, didn't meet any women. And I understood about the respect that they have for women. Mm-hmm. I didn't see women anywhere, yeah. anywhere. They were always at home. And they, like one of the guys, Abdullah in Petra, was explaining to me that, you know, my mum loves being with the family. The family really relies on her. And so she's at home doing this and this and this and this. And if she needs to get anything, I'll run out and get it for her. So my perception was that the women were told to stay at home. Right. But actually, that was not the reality of it. Right. I did get out of the car in Amman to get something out of the boot. And my driver got angry at me and said, get back in the car. And I said, why? And he said, we don't like women out on the street. And I went, well, which one is it? Yeah. Because <laughs> now I'm really fucking scared. Right. Okay, great. So jump back in, put my headscarf on and 
just get through the day and yeah yeah well, I mean, it's very interesting because it's very hard for us to – we have so many judgments about other people's cultures for Absolutely. a start. Like, and I've been confronted by this even in America, which in some ways is probably the most like and homogenous culture to us. Yeah, I agree. Well, one of the major ones yeah. anyway, right? So, And even I find it confronting there to go – like when I try to talk to them about guns or whatever, you know, like oh, it's so ingrained in their culture and their world that they have mm. a different perspective on this than we do. So it's hard to – they put our perspective onto their perspective and have a conversation. You have to start to see it from their point of view. Mm-hmm. And then you can still have a problem with things. Like there's clearly a bunch of things going on in the Middle East with yeah. their attitude to women that are mm-hmm. deplorable and reprehensible. But, mm-hmm. I mean, there's part of me that thinks maybe we should fix the shit in our own backyard first and yeah. then we can start pointing the fingers at everybody else. And my other point is maybe if you just show people how things are, you don't have to tell them. And you can change you can change quickly. Like conditioning, we're mm-hmm. talking about really conditioning. Yeah, that's here. what we are talking you about. You can change that within a generation. Hatred though, and that's yeah. really what I took out of a lot of the conversations I had in the Middle East. The hatred I hope that one generation that that will be diluted enough for it not to exist, but yeah. it goes on and on and on and on. Yeah. And so they're, they're, they're very different, even though they seem there's a similarity. We can change something within our generation about, and we will, around, yeah. for example, how women are, are perceived and treated in Australia. That will change. It's changing rapidly now. It will change. It does feel like it is. Yep. I'm seeing it just in the last few years. This is what I don't understand, you know, and I don't want to make this really political, but... The thing that I don't understand, in fact, about both parties in Australia, really, so it's, you know, uh, was even if you happen to have some personal problem with gay marriage, right? If you're a politician, you know, your job is to kind of read the play, right? Mm -hmm. See the state of the world. Like, 20 countries in the world now have gay marriage. Sure, and, you know, surely you've got to be, as a leader in in a country like that, just read the, you you know what? Chances are, mm-hmm. I, I would always like to ask that Tony Abbott or Julia Gillard or any of the people who didn't bring in gay marriage, like particularly recently, just tell me honestly, do you think in 20 years in Australia we will have gay marriage or not? And I don't think any of those people, no matter what they think, would say we won't have it. I believe 100% in Australia oh, in 20 years we will question. have gay marriage and hopefully a lot sooner than mm-hmm. that. So if you believe that is true, do you really want to be... The last person <laughs> to say no. To, to say it. no, you know. Do you really want to be the yeah. last one going? No, it's cool that we have slaves. They do stuff for free. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like there's a point where you can be part of. Well, that's what everybody did. Mm. And then there's a point of going where everybody else has kind of moved on, and you're still the ones going. No, 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 no. no. We're going to hang on to the. And I feel like that's. It feels like you know. I mean, obviously, it shouldn't have taken us all this time to for us to get to a point where. You know, uh, but maybe the capacity of the internet and the, you know those sort of things for people to have a voice. We're hearing a lot about, particularly in in our country, about the role of women and mm-hmm. violence against women and how women are treated. And sometimes those debates can be really confronting. In my world, in comedy, there was a lot of you know c- controversy over what people can say on stage and mm. about rape jokes and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's really interesting to me because the reason that people feel confronted by that is that. For so long, we weren't having these conversations. Now, for a while, it's going to go back one way and back mm-hmm. the other. But it feels like now that we're having these like serious conversations about this, surely the, the genie has got to be out of the bottle. I think, I mean, I'm watching House of Cards at the moment, so uh-huh. I understand how politics work. Mm-hmm. And big organisations have a voice. Yeah. I would say the church is a pretty big organisation. Yeah. 
So from my perspective, that's well and truly got to be the biggest barrier. Um, like the building I'm in, there's four levels of parking for the church next door. Right. Now, I can't even afford a parking spot in the right. city, but there's four levels. Yeah. It's like, wow, there's just so much wealth. their income is tax-free. And the Vatican was just, wow. Yeah. Like, it, just such extraordinary wealth, yeah. and wealth does change decisions or maintains a steady road, and let's hope that changes. Okay, so you start your own business at 23. How does yes. that practically work? How does starting your own business at 23 work? Well, I started – I jumped away from McDonald's and I made the mistake of, well, I probably – You thought I'll open my own hamburger chain. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how this works. No, no, I didn't go there. Um, but I stayed in food. And so I went to another fast food restaurant, double, uh-huh. like, double my pay, double everything else, thinking, uh-huh. awesome. You, I was you upsized. The, I, I upsized. <laughs> <laughs> I upsized and thought that this is – I'm yeah. always about money and building yeah. this house and – going on these holidays so this is perfect for yeah. me and that's when i realized they didn't like women okay interesting mm. all right especially the blonde ones that are a bit vocal okay so this is it. i mean this is like i mean and i don't think and this isn't probably a conversation that i would be having with a man in this situation so it's interesting for me to even ask this question and but i'm going to ask it with that you know proviso which is do you think that the way you looked was part of the way that they reacted to you because you're attractive and you have blonde hair and i imagine if there is someone who's going to easily dismiss someone based on how they look that's the look that they're going to easily dismiss absolutely and i think that that was actually a bit of a chip on my shoulder in the early years where i would get one of the who was my mentor actually but would do some work with me and he was older he was about 20 25 years older so i would get him to come to meetings with me so it looked like i know we've got the young one the young blonde one but there's real guts to this yeah. um, but what it also meant was that I needed to be the most talented person in the room right so it gave me good training because I wanted to know everything there was I wanted them to walk out going holy shit she yeah, knew she her knows stuff. her stuff and so that you have was to really know more training. you have to be more prepared you well, need to be that was my yeah. feeling yeah. yeah and so I did that and it worked yeah well, that's interesting. Okay. Mm. So, uh, how does it practically work to start your own business? Like, how does, like, what do you do? Do you get an office? I work like, how does home. it work? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm just genuinely fascinated by that. I'm like, what do you do? The reality of what I did then and what yeah. I would do now are so different. I didn't even need a website back then. Okay. Yeah, like, a course. landline was very important. You yeah. had to have a landline. So, it's just a completely different space. Um, I worked from home for a couple of years, probably. 18 months, two years, and then I got two staff members um, and therefore I had to get an office and that was the biggest commitment I think I've ever had in my life because I thought, wow, I'm taking on two people's careers. Right. And their I lives. pay them. If I don't pay them, they can't make mortgage repayments. Right. Shit. And if the business doesn't go well, like, you know, they're, they're taking a risk on you as much as... Absolutely. Right. I remember sitting in this tiny office of three of us and I'm looking around going, I would never have said yes to this job. Yeah. Like, I would never work for me. Right. And so... Do you like? Did you know those people, or did you just literally employ them? Yeah. Like, I, so how did they come in? Because how do you at twenty three like interview people and know what you need them to do for the job? So yeah, I was probably at twenty five at the yeah, 25. time when I okay, brought yeah. them on. Um, well, I I had no idea. I right. pretty much did it by group. Because that's people the thing that I'm interested me. in is like, you know, how – because there'd be people listening to this, like, you know, probably people that age, people who have those sort of, you know, ambitions and they're like, you know, do you think that sometimes 
like just thinking that you can do it helps? Because clearly you thought that you could do it. A- absolutely. Like I just never would have had the balls to do that at that age. Like I remember when I moved, I was 25, 26 when I moved to Sydney to do Triple J Breakfast. And like I, that was the first time I'd lived in a city that, you know, at least like when I was in Melbourne, I was like, I don't know, like even that mm. then, like I didn't, I wasn't starting my own business. I was just going away for a proper job, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think that I've never, under, it's never crossed my mind that I might not be able to have what I want. Yeah, ever. okay, that's interesting. Where do you think that comes from? Um, I don't know. It's. Do you feel like your brother and sister have the same thing in their mind? Do you think it's something that came from family or do you think it's literally like something that, where do you think it came up from, well, from you? Interestingly, if I look at my family, so my mum's a teacher, was yep. a teacher, she's retired, dad's a pilot, mm-hmm. and my brother, sister and I are all self-employed. Interesting. It, and it's interesting to go like of all, you know, you're up there with the nurses and dentists and stuff of those sort of most trusted professions yeah but they're far from entrepreneurs right Um, no i agree they're both people who are yeah they're essential services pretty much and And they're part of a system and they're part of big corporations and they feel that other like that other people's decisions have a big factor on how they enjoy their job and when they have to do their job and that sort of thing and they're surrounded by like my mum had her students my dad had his crew but Uh also the, the passengers like it was just a it was interesting that none of us ever it never really crossed any of our minds not to have our own thing. Interesting. And I think it's because we all can't be – we don't like being told what to do. do. Yeah. So maybe we got told too much of what to do and now we're all revolting. I find that very interesting though. Like as a philosophy, I often think when somebody says, what's the main reason that you do your job? And I was like, I mostly just don't like people telling me what to do. Mm, me too. Like I've mostly designed my life so no one really tells me what to do. Mm. And I like that. There's freedom with that. But, you know, when people go, you start your own business, oh, yeah. was it to get more time off? I'm like, yeah, actually, that was part of it. But that's right. just not the reality of no. it at all. But no but that's a, I mean, me. But that's what that four-hour work week book's all about anyway, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's not really about a four-hour work week. No. It's like if you do something that you love, about four hours it'll, it'll feel like work. <laughs> yes. You'll be working all the fucking time. Yep. This is the you're working all the fucking time work week yep. book. Yeah. But it I won't re- feel I don't like work. I want to read work. that book. Yeah. But, I like it. But that is kind of what... it doesn't work. feel like work, yeah. right? So, yeah. it, you know, doing doing stuff like doing Gruen, for example, that does take a bit of a chunk out of your week. You're yeah. going, okay, what's this look like? And I don't care because I love it. Yeah. You know, I love it. And I loved actually everyone that was on the show too and everyone that was behind the scenes. It was just a space where I felt really inspired. Oh, that's that's very hard to get. I'm glad to hear that. That's because yeah. it's like... I mean, when you see your world through other people's eyes, you know, it's very interesting to see what they would think of it because, Mm. you know, making a show like that in particular, you know, where it's a bunch of, you know, pretty like we've gathered together on all sides of it, a bunch of people who are used to not many people telling them what to do. That's right. It's (laughs) like like it's literally a gathering of like, can we get a whole bunch of people (laughs) who don't like being told what to do and then get them to try to... And then you tell them what to do. Yeah, then I tell them what to do. Yeah. Because I like to tell other people what to do. (laughs) (laughs) I've witnessed it. You do a good job at it. But it is interesting. That, okay, so uh, so you st- now have to think about employing people. You have mm-hmm. to think about how you relate to those people. Uh, what uh, what mistakes did you make early on? If you had your time over again, what would you do differently? Well, I think it really runs parallel to this conversation around being a better person, looking at life differently. That the leader I was, uh-huh. 
Oh, what sort of I'm leader were you? I'm so embarrassed. Yeah. I was aggressive. Uh-huh. I was insensitive. I was black and white. Did you feel like oh. you were holding everyone to your standards or Absolutely. higher than your standards? No, no. They were. I just had really high expectations. Yep. I just didn't. I just wasn't gentle. Uh-huh. You know, I wasn't gentle at all. And I think that's also reflective in that, like, since my sort of Paris enlightenment moments yep. I'm just a much better friend I've yep. got deeper friendships uh-huh. I'm such I'm a much better daughter I'm a much better sister I'm just I realise that it's got to be genuine and I've got to really care about other people right because that's more important to me than going oh great can I beat someone to the finish line can I win one of my favourite I mean and I look I firstly I think that a lot of people probably make those same mistakes uh, the thing that I say over and over about like I, I was early on, I would take the insecurities I had about myself out on other people, you know, like it'd yeah, be about right. like, you know, particularly when you're, you know, making a television or show or whatever, it'd be about like, you know, the audience not being right or someone else not getting the audience right or like the camera thing wasn't working. Like it was when it was, I wasn't really angry at any of those things. I was you know, I just didn't think that I could do it. And I yeah. thought that everybody else could see that I couldn't do it. And, mm. you know, so it was easier to kind of, you know, blame other people or like, and somebody said something to me reasonably early on, although I wish it had been a, a little earlier on. Um, uh, but it was such a simple way of looking at it. And it's like, it, you know, I think it has a broader, he, he was t- telling me it in relation to being in the TV studio and making a television show. Because that, that day of making the show, I always say that, you know, like the analogy I will use is to to make a television show, it's like a plane. Everyone has to do their job properly for Mm. the plane to take off. They don't let it take off if the curtain doesn't work or the light doesn't work. Everybody has to do their job properly. I agree with that. But there is a point where someone throws me the keys and says, all right, you're flying this now and please don't fly it into a mountain. Mm -hmm. Right? That's my job. That's what I'm employed to do and I, I get that. So everybody on that day is in some way working in service of you doing your job properly. Mm-hmm. So you can be the person who picks it all out and says that didn't work right or you're, you can be the person who like you know, actually genuinely leads people and encourages people and, you know. And so what they said to me was very simple, which was it, remember it's everybody's day at work. It's not just your day at work. Mm. Like the happiness of the lady in makeup depends on, yep. yeah, partly at least on with how nice you were or what your engagement with her was. And the mm. same with the cameraman and the same with the costume lady and the same with the, like what, every aspect of that. Mm-hmm. Everyone's here at work. You know, we're all working. Mm. And I think in general, like, you know, we forget that, like just walking around the streets. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. you're in a rush. Maybe they're in a rush too. Mm. Or maybe they can't walk very quickly because, you know, they've got it's, a baby in front of them or whatever. right? right? Like, tolerance. Absolutely. But empathy as well. It, Understanding. Yeah, actually, right, empathy. Yeah. That thing of going, what you said before, you have to actually care. Mm. It's not enough to, like, in your brain, process. it's not enough for me to go, I need to be polite to Maria who does the clothes at the ABC. But it's not genuine. Right. You need it's to be about genuine. you saying, it's about me saying, I need to care yeah. about Maria. I, I need to. to actually, I want to care. Mm. Like, I want to work out what relationship we have. Even if it's like. I, I really mean, like Maria. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, she's, she's fantastic. Nice. <laughs> that was, I used her as an example because I've known her genuinely from, and she's actually would be a great like example of this because she did uh, the wardrobe back when I did Glass House right at the start. Oh, wow. right. And that was the place where. And I'm very lucky because many of the crew that work on uh, Gruen, they did six years on Glasshouse. All those ABC people are almost the same people, you know. Right. So they got to see me, and I'm glad of this. 
they got to see me going from being a stressed out brat to hopefully being someone who treats everyone. Like, you know, they got to see me grow up a bit. Yeah. But it's nice to, like, so I feel comfortable with them because, like, you know, I know what I was like. But it's the people who only saw you being what you were that you're like, you want to go, I'm better now. Yeah. I get it. I'm sorry. And I wish like I, I wish I could go back yeah. to, like, my, my glass house days yeah. and go – I'm much better now and I wish that I treated you nicely. Yeah. No, I get nicer. it now. Yeah. And I mean, I look at I, – I was trying to talk the other day about what makes a good leader and for me it definitely is having those difficult conversations. Okay, so and talk me through never, that. This is good. I never like good at difficult conversations. So I would go to angry uh-huh. or silence. Yeah. So that was the old leadership style. Yeah. And angry is really easy. Yeah. It's like off the cuff happens and then – it's over. Yeah. And that's probably what I was exposed to in, from my parents or from my father's p- way of parenting. Yeah. Now, it's the gentle conversations that are the hardest and it's the quicker that I go into them and get them done that I yeah. go, I'm actually growing as a leader. Uh-huh. One of my friends said to me, an entrepreneur is forged by flames. You know, like they're, they're like a phoenix. They just run into the fire going, I really hope I'm not going to die here, but I might. And uh-huh. then phoenix out the other side like and you look at it like that going yeah because if it was that easy everyone would be a leader right, right. and especially like in the gruen space that is a culture like i walked into that culture and i go i can't believe the culture here it's a caring culture everyone's friendly and it's it, i walked in i felt like i'd been there since the beginning like that isn't a culture that just happens that truly comes from leadership it comes from people opting in to be part of it you know, there's a lot of freelancers and consultants that work within the industries we work in and they choose. They could go anywhere they want and they, they choose to work in Gruen. I love when people choose to work with me at Pulse and then I show my leadership style and they go, that would have been difficult. She did it. Wow. And did it because anger, oh, I've got a cramp in my leg. <laughs> that's the first are you alright do you need to stretch out yeah a little bit that's the I first uh, mid podcast cramp that I've, I've ever I got a, I did a two hour spin class with my friend Joey yesterday uh-huh. and I, I try not to do anything that you know isn't less than two hours but I haven't exercised in about two months so I'll probably yeah wow you just, you just oh. went for it are you alright yeah no I should be alright do you need a break do you need a stretch do you no, need to I'll just do a bit of a rub down now yeah um but I think that <laughs> if I was to judge myself today, I can judge myself in, in my whole life, mm-hmm. I would judge myself as a bad leader and I'm really embarrassed by that. Oh, that's interesting to me. So, so embarrassed. Okay, so how long do you think that you were a bad leader for then? Probably up until two years ago. Okay, so was it just the stuff you're talking, uh, yeah, that, that, that you only kind of had two speeds that you were ignore or anger? And people knew okay. when... Lauren didn't talk to them. They it were. meant they were probably on the way out. Uh-huh. And they knew it. Like, I was so predictable. I couldn't believe it. I thought I was stealth. Right. And that well, was that's, like, that, that's the other thing is you look like an idiot. Like, I mean, as in, like, when I was at uh, Triple M and you talk about that idea of, like, uh, failure sometimes being the time you learn the most or you learn what's important to you. And I've spoken about this before. This is not a secret in any way. Best job I ever had in my life for two reasons. One, they let us do whatever we wanted to do and it was a really creative time for us and we were off their radar and secondly we were just completely the wrong mix for the place so when we like when they wanted me to anyway it was a long story but when the show came to an end like I was wrapped because it meant that I had enough money to go away and do stand up which is what I really wanted to do Uh, but I had a really excellent time there like so it wasn't like there was no mean spirit like I was really happy to leave to be honest like it had done everything it needed to do for me 
And the only thing that really could have ruined my life was if it had continued to be successful, you know? Like, that yes, would have, that would Because then me. I would have got locked in there and yeah. I wouldn't have got to do all the things that I've got to do since then. So yeah. it was a really important moment of my life. But the thing that, like, makes me laugh the most is that there was just so many people who took it all so seriously in there. Like I remember the first time I sat in a market research meeting, you know, like at the start <laughs> when they employed me and they were telling me what sort of beer people saw me as and what sort of beer I had to oh, be. Right. And, yeah, yeah. and like, but for the last six weeks, two months, like, and Guy Dobson, I'm happy to name him because this is just a true story. Uh, Dobbo uh, did not talk to me for like last six weeks. To we just like avoid my eye contact, and I would just laugh. I would just say to people, "Oh yeah, we're not, you know, we're not coming back." Like Dobbo, <laughs> like, and I always found that just so because he's meant to be this big, like he's the big sort of scary boss, you know. Mm. But I was just like, "It's fine, mate. Like I'm a professional." Yeah. Like, you know, like, you'll ring me again in 18 months and try to rehire me. They did. So, it was like, <laughs> like I understand how that world works. Like, it's mm. the nature of that business, you know. But the only thing I didn't respect out of that was the fact that he didn't talk to me, you know. And I found it ridiculous. And no. instead of, like, he was someone who, before that, I genuinely had some, like, A, I liked. And I still don't, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not, don't feel unpleasantly towards him. But, you know, when you see someone, you think someone's a giant. You know, you see them as this, like, guy who's had this great mm-hmm. career in this industry and then you see them be such a coward like that and you're like, oh, my God, you're like a mouse. Like, mm-hmm. I almost feel sorry for you. Like, all this respect I had for you and all this, like, I just don't have that anymore. Not in a bad way. I don't but feel mean spirit to him. But I just feel like, yeah. Yeah, a sledgehammer is easy. Like, you right. know, for me, I just found that was much easier just yeah. going, look, um, I've made this decision and you need to finish up. Like nothing in between. It's just right. sledgehammer approach is that was pretty much my never that principle. moment of like, hey, this is. It was really interesting. Um, uh, a friend of mine. I hope that he doesn't mind me telling this story. But uh, a guy called Jules Lund, who some people will mm-hmm. know, um, spoke about uh, the end of his uh, career on uh, the Great Outdoors. I think was Get the away. show. It was Getaway. Okay, there we go. See, so, uh, so it was a travel show, Australian mm-hmm. travel show. And he said basically he left in the end because they weren't sending him on the sort of assignments that he wanted to go. And he got to that point where he's like he kind of quit and told them he was quitting. And he said it was the best job he ever had in his life. He just mm. wasn't getting good stories, you know. And when he quit, the person in charge was like, well, why didn't you just tell us that you weren't liking your stories? We would have sent you on different stories. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And it's kind of like that thing of sometimes you go, you rather than have that small, uncomfortable conversation, you just let shit build and then it, it goes too far. And it's like this crazy making. Like you can take a, just a little seed of something yeah. and not in not necessarily in Jules's case but yeah. around someone said something to me that upset right. me or something. That little seed just keeps growing and growing and growing. Before you know it, you feel like this person hates you right. and really you just had to have the conversation. Or you're really pissed off at them about something that they haven't even thought about once since that moment. They have no like idea what you're talking it up about. And, you're, and, and then you start to get angry at them that they're not on the same level as you and you're like, they've never thought about that thing since that moment mm-hmm. like my, one of my friends said to me last night um, oh do you know that night that I, I made dinner and I made a really really nice dinner and you turned up drunk I said no she said yeah it was really bad I said, I'm no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, it's likely. Right. I'm, I'm sure that happened. <laughs> I'm not questioning that. Yeah. But that upset her. And right. she's held on to it for years. Yeah. And I was like, and she said, oh, so I might come to your dinner drunk. And I was like, wow. Yeah. 
I didn't realise. Right. And so I this wish... This is clearly... Like, yeah. I just wish you'd said something yeah, and I would and have I been would, like, oh, you I know. I would have apologised. Yeah, totally. So, were you, like, were you like that in relationships as well? Were you all or nothing? Oh, were you yeah. the sort of person who would take something and never mention <laughs> the fact that it was... Like, I think, by the way, that this is a very general thing that the world does a lot. Like, I, I, the analogy I like to use to people is like, I think that the reason we've got so much proper anger is we're not like letting the pressure cooker steam out. Mm. You know, like we yeah, don't... Yeah, you're We right. build up the, the mm. residual anger and the residual anger rather than... Then A, taking a moment, like for example in traffic, if someone cuts you off and there wasn't an actually an accident, probably don't need to lean on the horn. Mm-hmm. Probably assume that, you know what, you've made some mistakes in your life as well and this is one of those times mm-hmm. where we just give another person a pass for a minute, you know, because if you, you know, beat your horn, maybe the kid was doing something, maybe they honestly didn't see you, whatever. Yeah, I'm but with now you, they're totally angry and now the next person's angry. But I think it's the same in a lot of the, you know, with everything where like if we just went hey this thing shits me a little and don't get me wrong i'm a hundred percent guilty of this i will you know but i do think sometimes if you just said to someone hey you know how you put your feet up on that table that that really annoys me now i'm not saying you have to stop it but i'm just letting you know that like for whatever reason that really annoys me and I do that now. Like I really, if there's something, I go straight into it without being that person that always wants to talk about emotions and stuff. Mm. Um, but I, I do say something upsets me. Like I was Skyping with a friend yesterday and he asked me a question that was important. Yeah. And I, I thought, wow, he's actually asking me an important question. It's uh-huh. meaningful to me and I want to answer it. Uh-huh. And then he got up and started organizing some shit off to the side. Uh-huh. Now, because we're on Skype, right. I could see yeah, <laughs> that yeah, he yeah. wasn't really paying attention. Yeah. So I kind of finished quickly and I thought, now's not the time. Bought it up the next day and just went. That was that just made me feel like you weren't interested in something that was really important to me. What? Imagine that, just having an honest conversation. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. That wasn't my intention. I was just rushing to get out the door, blah, blah, blah. Right. And it's done now. But if there's four or five of those and they grow into – like they snowball into something big – and that's really hard to have those – like it's much more natural for me now. It's very hard to go from sledgehammer to that upset me. Yeah. And was there any reason why – or actually I try not to use why. Apparently that, that word gets people riled up. Right. If I go, why did you – because it assumes there's a motivation to everything. Yeah. It's and particularly when you're dealing with men, like you'd be – amazed at how often like the that women in particular will ascribe motivation to things that men do thoughtlessly (laughs) (laughs) you know a lot of the time you know (laughs) like it's like that thing of like when sometimes when you know like a woman will say to like when a man drifts off somewhere and a woman will say to a man you know what are you thinking and they're always unsatisfied with their ideas because sometimes it's literally nothing Mm. or sometimes I'm just literally looking at a wall going that's a nice wall yeah that's a really flat wall (laughs) you know what I mean like whatever (laughs) thinking about football or whatever like it's not like (laughs) I don't know why I'm thinking about things or doing what I'm doing that's interesting so uh, do you have like a vision of you know where your life goes from now or are you trying to like do you have like a plan for the next five years are you that sort of person do you make plans look I just actually did a workshop last week and we had to plan for the rest of the calendar year and then 20 years out so when you do workshops you say you you were participating in a workshop yeah so I'm part how do you feel like uh, okay well you explain to me and then I'll ask my question yeah so um I'm part of entrepreneurs organization Uh so we're a group of entrepreneurs there's about 130 of us in Sydney Uh and then you break into smaller forums 
forums of anything from sort of six to ten people and within that forum is a real safe space. Confidentiality is number one. You uh-huh. speak in gestalt language, which means you never give advice. You say, look, when that happened to me, this is what I did. It's oh, all from experience, okay. yep, yep. which is fantastic, which has really given me an insight into how I have friendships too. Right. Where like someone said to me the other day about one of my friends, he's such a wanker. And I was like, whoa, that's not – I'm not used to that sort of – because my group of friends, we don't talk like that. And I was right. like, oh, that's a bit judgmental. Oh, I didn't really like that. Um, but as a group, we had a full day that we workshopped through different what things do you call? What did you call the na- – the, the, where you don't give advice? What did you call that? Gestalt. Gestalt. Is gestalt. that a technique or a rule? What is, where does that come from? Gestalt, what does that mean? I think it must be German, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. You'd have to say, yeah, right? it has to be German. I enjoyed that though because I was reading an article uh, the other day about the idea of advice – and how that so rarely we're actually looking for advice or that we take advice and on the times when we do take advice that you know then it can become awkward in like someone's investment in like you know if I give you like for example I'm always if young comedians ask me for advice I always say to them look I will tell you what happened to me and I'm happy to even give you advice based on you but I don't know you and what's important to you and Mm -hmm. where exactly you are in your life so I will be fine if you don't take this advice because I think that's the most important thing to say about advice is mm. I don't want them just because they've asked me for advice then to feel like they have to take that advice. I'd, I'd prefer if they if I tell them a bunch of things. They go, oh yeah, that's not that's the complete opposite of what I need to know. And but that helped mm. me because you said that thing. So it's but it's interesting that you're in an environment there where people can learn from what you know they went through. But you're not saying you know this is what you should do. I think I feel yeah. like that's a really important space. It is, and I think generally in the world we could learn a little bit more about that. You know, we seem so... Like, every day we're telling other people what they should be doing with their lives mm. rather than going, how hey... I mean, even in the sense of, like, when you look at the economy, you know, we were very quick at saying, well, just don't drink your beer and then you'll be able to afford to go to the doctor instead of saying, hey, I think it's better to have a job and to be able to afford these things and here's how I got there and here's why I think it's better and here's how, why I think your you know, world will be better if you have mm-hmm. something that you're passionate about, you know. Yeah, different. So from a they're different very angle. different, yeah. you know, ways of... Mm. Uh, yeah, it's interesting to me. Okay, so you went to a workshop the other day, sorry. Yeah, so we did a workshop and we had to plan out our goals for this calendar year but then 20 years from now. And I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do 20 years because everyone else has families, yep. like they're married with children and I'm not. Yep. And I was like, oh, I could maybe do five. And so I negotiated down to 10. So I did 10 years. And it's 10 years based on Lauren now. Yeah. What was interesting, I heard a speaker the other day, I was at a conference, and they said, um, when I was 19, I planned my life out. You know, I planned my life out of things I needed to achieve, and I'm 34 now. What the fuck am I doing letting a 19-year-old plan right. my life? Right. Because you plan from 19, and then you're like, you don't know, you only have 19 years of life, right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't let another 19-year-old no plan my life, and I certainly wouldn't let uh-huh. me at 19 plan my life. I mean, that's the most ridiculous thing, though, is this idea that, like, you know, when we're 15, we're meant to know better about what we're doing with the rest of our life Mm -hmm. than we are when we're 25 or 35 or 45. That's right. Like, it's ridiculous. It is. And I even know now the sort of growth the last couple of years has had for me. So I go, well, I don't want to go too far in advance. Right. But I know for things around spirituality and health and the what do I do and well, how long until I finish my seven wonders and where do I want to live in the world and, you know, what legacy do I want to leave? Sure, they're, they're there. But the deeper things, I don't know because I don't 
I don't have. And in 20 years, my mum's probably going to be dead. Mm. I go, great, my mum's dead. I'm like going to everyone else, are your parents dead on your plan? Because I'm pretty <laughs> certain they are. <laughs> like, oh, your parents are dead. You're older than me. You're definitely right. going to be You've going. you definitely yeah. got dead parents. Yeah, dead parents. Yeah. So I was like, I don't want to How wanna, many of you guys put funerals on your 20-year plan? <laughs> How many of them? <laughs> And so I, I planned right. out 10 years. And, you know, I loved it. It really yeah. inspires me. I love – I really do love goal setting. But they're not – I'm very good at quantifying my goals. But I'm also very good at not beating myself up if I don't reach them. Right. I just love the fact that like seven wonders of the world, I know I'll get there. Yep. And if I don't, I'm going to get pretty damn close. Right. And I, I mean I could have died – the day I went to Petra, I could have happily died the next day and just – thought I've just had the best day of my whole life. I will never be the same after my one day in Petra. And I go, wow, imagine if I'm lucky enough to get four more of those in right. before I die. Like I'm pretty happy with that. And that feeds a lot of my ambition for life and to meet people in different places and bring that back and be a, a better sister or, right. you know, daughter. Uh, what do you think happens when you die? I know that's a big question, but we're getting towards the end. Oh, it's always, Jesus. I don't mean of our lives, I mean of the podcast. All right, good. Phew. <laughs> <laughs> I said I don't need, I know you have other things on today. So, I, uh, so yeah, what do you think happens uh, when we die? Do you, have, do you think about that at all? Well, I mean, obviously you think about it because it's come up at least a couple of times. You've mm-hmm. said about the idea of how many years you might have left and you've talked yeah. about you know, the mortality of your parents. So clearly it's at least present in your thoughts in some ways. So what do, you, do you have any idea of what you think happens? Do you think it's over? Do you think it's done? I, I don't fear it at all. Uh-huh. I remember a few years ago I thought, even five years ago, I just lost fear. I didn't fear that it was going to be over and I was going to miss uh-huh. out or anything. or any, I never feared yeah. it. Well, I, I, I've never recently feared it. I don't look forward to it. But I no, know no, that no. it's, it's a finish line of yeah. sorts for me. Uh-huh. And so I go, wow, I've got this 40 units of time in front of me. What am I going to do? What happens when I cross the finish line? I really have no idea. It seems peaceful. Right. Okay. Well, that's, yeah. that, that's as good a thought as any. Mm. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's just interesting to know, you know, whether it, motivates people or not and how people react to it you know mm. all right so were you raised, raised religious at all because it doesn't sound like there's religion in there no no we're um we're jewish uh-huh. but no we we understand it my brother and my mum are probably more aware of Judaism right. than i am okay but i did just do israel and that was very very interesting yeah. i really felt i felt much closer to being a jew when i was there where do you uh, get you know this uh, where do you Okay, people would ask this question of people who are not religious or that people don't have like, you know, uh, where do you receive your – I don't like to use the word spirituality because it feels like Mm. it has negative connotations. Much like feminism, it needs a rebrand, spirituality. (laughs) But where do you get the things that make you more than just a machine, the things that make you – more than a psychopath, you know, or a sociopath, you know. Like, know where do you those. where yes. do you remember like what it's like to be a human being? Where do you remember that you're dealing with people? That it's not just about you know making insane profits and like mm-hmm. you know exploiting everybody, and that you know who cares about anybody else? Because you know, like you know, you don't believe anything particular happens when you're dead. You're not going to hell or going mm-hmm. to heaven or you know whatever. Where do you get that from in your life? I feel I can I can easily look at my lifeline and go nothing sticks so relationships and friendships just 
all fo- keep falling away and I keep going, what is wrong with them? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then oh, I go, what's wrong with them? Yeah. And then I go, actually, I'm the common right. denominator yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. And so that's, that is really when my spirituality kicked in where uh-huh. I'm like, are you a good person? Right. Are you leaving a legacy? Are people wanting to be near you? Uh-huh. And that was my then my religion now of going – I want to be everything I can to the people that I care about and I want them to stay in my life. Like in my life plan in the 10 years, I said I want to have three of my best friends that I have now in my life, actively in my life then. Now, it's likely we're all going to live in different countries. Right. But that was a goal for me. It was a very – and that was under spirituality. It was a really important part of my goals to go, if I'm going to reach that, I'm not going to put down annual – check-ins on that i just need to be a fucking awesome friend yeah i need to listen i'm going to get a list of your best friends after this and i'm going to take bets on which ones <laughs> <laughs> that'll be good i can keep people engaged in the podcast uh, i could talk to you forever but we'll just do a second part another time because i know you've got other stuff to do today um that was great i really enjoyed that did you have a good time i had a great time Will. yeah good all Thanks right for now having me. if people want to find out more about you that can they they can follow you on twitter yes they can uh it's underscore lauren freed it's underscore at the start, isn't it? That's yeah, right. Yeah, it's a shame. What? Who? who Just was, don't follow Lauren Freed. Who was, La- who Lauren, was Freed. Lauren Freed? I don't know. Well, who is she? I, there's a lot of Will Andersons out there on the internet who occasionally get mistakenly tagged into my stuff and send me a message going, <laughs> could you stop your fucking idiot <laughs> well, friends? Mark Zuckerberg followed me last week and then I realised it actually wasn't him. I was uh, very upset. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, Whoever it's always, are, up, it's always upsetting when you see like a, a good name and you're like, and like it was like the other day, I don't even know who it was, it was like Brett Lee and then I've clicked on it and said, and his bio just says, not the cricketer. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, fair enough. Okay. Um, I hope people are enjoying the podcast and uh, there's, I've got a, some other ones up my sleeve, uh, Dr. Carl's coming up and uh, Glenn Robbins and um, a bunch of other people. It's going to be really exciting. But uh, Lauren, I appreciate you being part of it today. Thank my you. My pleasure.